Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. I am so happy to have on the line as our first guest for the new year, our old buddy Lisa Graves, the president and executive director and editor-in-chief at True North Research, the president of the board of directors for the Center for Media and Democracy, truenorthresearch.org, and uh, the Lisa Graves on Twitter, L-I-S-A Graves, and it's True North on Twitter. Lisa, welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Tom. I've been enjoying your show so much over the past year, and your writings over the break uh, have just been so penetrating. Thank you for having me on, my friend. Well, thank you, and, and back at you. So uh, you've got this piece, How the Koch Network Hijacked the War on COVID. Um, uh, this was actually Walter Bragman and Alex Koch wrote this, but um, or th this particular one that I'm looking at. But how... how what is what is going on with the Koch network, and and can we just even define the Koch network here? Well, you know that is a that piece. I'm so proud of the work of the Center for Democracy on that piece. It really probes uh, into the structures at George Mason, the Mercatus Center, um, and other universities that uh, Koch has funded and programs he has funded that have really been trying to provide the scaffolding in many ways for this attack on. Um, vaccines, on, you know, preventative measures and more. And, you know, I'm reminded that uh, when Charles Koch was the main, you know, major funder of the Libertarian Party, uh, when, um, when uh, he was basically the core funder in the 70s of that party, one of its major platform planks was opposition to vaccinations. Uh, really? As well as, you know, opposition to uh, major federal infrastructure around, uh, you know, disease and, you know, the economy and other issues, but specifically op opposition to mandatory vaccination. So it, it wasn't opposition to vaccines. It was opposition to the government mandating vaccines. Do I have that right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for that clarification. Because as, as and, libertarians. Know, was, at, that time, at that time, it was not so common to, to be opposed to vaccines. You know, kids uh, are required to get vaccines for uh, public school, as they have for many, many years. And so it was an outlier position, as with a number of the outlier positions um, in that platform. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So what What about, so so for, for people who don't know what we're talking about, can you define the Koch network for us? Well, there are a lot of definitions, but my definition is basically Charles Koch, who is one of the richest 
uh, men in the world, in the history of the world, who inherited his father's company and um, runs one of the biggest sort of multinational oil conglomerates in the, in the, on the planet. And his billionaire buddies, which um, he's gathered for well over a decade uh, to help fund his agenda to remake America in his image. And so um, the Coke Network has certainly spent um, at least a a billion dollars over the last decade uh, trying to influence American elections through a a number of dark money, um, uh, you know, parts of their infrastructure, as well as um, these you know, sort of more. Um, I suppose they're 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 thought of as less controversial, but these programs at universities like George Mason, where again Charles Koch has spent, you know, cumulatively, um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on uh, trying to change what what people are taught at universities and trying to fund um, academics who are advancing his agenda, his mission. Yeah, it's it's kind of a. a, a... I was going to say a one-man culture reinvention scheme, but it's not just one man. There's 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 a collection of these billionaires and their hangers-on and their retainers and their and their and their um, uh, colleagues, and they reach into every single state. I mean, there there are these policy centers in every state. You've got Alec. Uh, I mean, uh, there's there's a whole variety of pieces to this that uh, that seem to at times, particularly in the news, stand independent. But um, these are part of this network. That's right. You know, and Alec uh, has been funded by uh, Coke Industries now for um, almost 30 years. Um, Coke Industries has had a seat on Alec's board of businesses, its advisory board. Um, it chaired that board. Um, and Charles Coke groups um, attend uh, and influence those meetings of Alec where state legislators vote as equals behind closed doors without the press or public presence. They vote as equals with state legislators on measures. And they also underwrite Alec, which has been a key force in um, attacking, uh, you know, common sense public health measures in response to COVID and even trying to immunize businesses for exposing their customers and their employees to COVID. Um, And so Alec um, not only has been attacking voting rights through spreading mass disinformation about the big lie, which I call the big lucrative lie, um, but also has been at the heart of of trying to fuel these state legislators in trying in, in, in stopping and, and trying to deter measures that most um, the, the you know most trusted most uh, most experienced public health experts recommend. Yeah, tell us about uh, COSA, the, the Convention of States Action. Yeah, so you know there there's a, a part of Alex's effort is really an assault on our our constitution as it currently exists. They have a a number of ways in which Alec has tried to um, help invoke a constitutional convention, which uh, hasn't happened since our constitution was created, you know, more than uh, uh, 200 years ago. And, um, you know, if this is a group, Alec, that's corporate funded, can you imagine a constitution that would be written by the type of dark money and uh, oil industry uh, interests that fund Alec? But that's precisely what they're promoting is a convention supposedly to um, limit federal spending. But once it was if it were invoked, and you know they just need a couple more states to get there, um, it would be no holds barred in terms of rewriting our constitution. That um, is also happening as Alec is trying to push forward efforts to repeal the direct election of senators because through gerrymandering or you know unfair maps they can uh, create minority rule um, in states where there's a Democratic majority, and they disdain that senators are elected uh, statewide and they can't. Uh, they can't gerrymander that, but if they were able to change that and have the 
legislatures elect senators, then they would be able to consolidate their power further in our United States Senate. So they're un trying to undo, what is it, the 19th Amendment? Uh, no, uh, I don't remember. The 20th <laughs> Amendment? Direct, ele uh, direct election of senators, I, I'm so it's, sorry. It's right around there somewhere anyway, yeah. yeah. They've um, been around for over 100 years. We've had direct election of senators, and they want to do that too. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty breathtaking. Um, they, they have been having annual meetings in Washington, D.C., where they actually are having these practice sessions of holding a constitutional convention, taking our Constitution apart, rewriting it to satisfy the, the requirements of right-wing billionaires, and, and then stitching it all back together again. Now, they've been doing this for years and years. Um, and, and, I, and I realize that, you know, they're just a few states short of being able to actually pull this thing off. What do you, A, what specifically are, the ch outside of ending the direct election of senators, you know, I'm assuming we're talking about changing things like the Commerce Clause, you know, giving business more power than government, those kinds of things? Well, we, you know, we don't, we don't know. We can assume they, 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 they claim it's um, in order to um, pass this sort of make a constitutional balance budget amendment uh, a reality, which would really um, make uh, Grover Norquist's vision of being able to drown the federal government in a bathtub, it, it would be so small in his infamous words. Um, it, would, it would just crush the U.S. Uh, economy and crush our ability to contend with real world problems like uh, even more than, you know, that we, we aren't able to really contend with right now, which is climate change and pandemics and things like that. And so ostensibly it's about the balanced budget, but it's really about rewriting the Constitution. I, I suspect it would advance the interests of the NRA in terms of uh, expanding, you know, gun rights, machine guns, you know, what, what have you. Uh, it would likely advance the agenda of corporations to uh, try to throw off um, regulations that regulate their polluting and uh, pollution and impact on climate and much more. And, and certainly, I, I would suspect that they would be trying to advance an effort to enshrine in, in their new constitution uh, uh, an opposition to women's reproductive rights and the ability of women to control their reproductive destiny. And by the way, uh, thanks to Google, it's the 17th Amendment is the direct election of senators. Um, 17th. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, and and uh, yeah, good on you. Um, and, and I think we need to remember that corporate personhood is not in the Constitution. Uh, as John Paul Stevens pointed out in his dissent in Citizens United, uh, the modern business corporation didn't even exist when the Constitution was written. Um, and it is literally an invention of the Supreme Court, um, stretching from 1886 forward. And that the idea that um, giving money to politicians, what we used to call bribery, is uh, free speech. Uh, whether it's billionaires bribing politicians or corporations, that is also an invention of the Supreme Court. So I'm assuming that those two things, corporate personhood and money as free speech in politics, uh, they would also try to write into the Constitution. I, I remember when I was writing Unequal Protection, my book about the history of corporate personhood back in 2005, um, at that point it was just being reported that when South Africa uh, put together their new Constitution, AT&T gave them volunteer lawyers who helped them write corporate personhood into their constitution. I'm guessing that that's the kind of thing that Alec would try to do here. Well, I, I think that's right. And I was going to say, your book, Unequal Protection, really is a must read. Um, if, if, if viewers and listeners haven't had a chance to read it yet, I really recommend it. It's just um, so thorough and compelling. And you're right. Um, the, the fact is, is that when corporations um, uh, 
have a, have a hand in constitutions, um, that does not bode well for the people. And in this instance, even though um, even though in some ways the right wing has been successful in rewriting our constitution without our consent in the way that they have reinterpreted the First Amendment to try to give protection uh, to these billionaires like Charles Koch to spend unlimited money on elections. And by the way, he helped oppose um, the original uh, FECA in the 1970s. So this is a long-standing objective wow. there. I'm sure it will be part of this agenda. Yeah, amazing. The great Lisa Graves, executive director and editor-in-chief at True North Research, president of the board at the Center for Media and Democracy, truenorthresearch.org. Lisa, thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Great, great talking with you. Happy New Year, and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. Me too. Me too. And welcome back. Tom Arvin here with you. I did want to uh, just flag one thing for you. I've only seen this in one place. The headline on The Guardian is Schumer announces plan to change filibuster rules to advance voting rights bill. Good news. And again, this is, you know, one of these things where it doesn't seem to have a huge splash, but apparently Schumer has worked out something with a parliamentarian in the Senate where maybe they can break up Build Back Better into several pieces of legislation and pass more than one of them through reconciliation. If that's the case, that's a very, very big deal. So I just wanted to flag those two things for you. I'll keep you up to date on those. We'll keep an eye on them, but it might be very good news. Today's rant over at HartmanReport.com is titled, Time to Hold the Climate Change Perpetrators to Account and Make Them Pay. You know, we have a long history in this country of industries that produce toxic products and then lie about them and then kill a bunch of Americans in the process, basically skating or at least skating from criminal liability, although they end up having to pay big fines. The asbestos industry learned in the 1940s, for sure, definitely, no doubt about it, that their product caused mesothelioma, a deadly and painful form of lung cancer that, is always, that always kills you. Uh, in fact, it killed my father in 2006 because back the year that my mother got pregnant with me, 1950, my dad dropped out of college and went to work at a steel mill in Grand Rapids. And he was just working in this cloud of asbestos dust. When he was dying of, a, of mesothelioma, he participated in a lawsuit and got about 40,000 bucks from the asbestos companies, which went to my mother, which helped her as, you know, in, in her later years. So we have this, you know, the tobacco industry has been paying states to cover their health care costs for covering lung cancer. So we have a history of doing this, of holding people sort of to account. Although nobody from the asbestos industry ever went to prison. Nobody from the tobacco industry, even after seven CEOs lied to Congress right to their faces, none of them went ever, ever went to prison. But I'm saying right now, our world is on fire. America is on fire. We had last week... 100 mile an hour winds whipping through Colorado with these grass fires that, that uh, were, were caused apparently by high tension lines coming down in the wind and then the sparks catching the grass on fire and wiping out people's homes. It was 116 degrees here in Portland last summer. The Gulf Coast, the South, the Eastern Seaboard are annually torn apart by superstorms. The Midwest is facing these mile wide tornadoes. Look at what just happened in Kentucky last week, uh, the week before last took out you know, killed a bunch of people, took it out. I think it's time, number one, for us to dust off criminal prosecution 
for people who know about the threats and the harms of their product. In this case, I'm talking about the fossil fuel industry and the executives who have been funding climate denial, criminal prosecution, and financial restitution. This climate change is costing the United States hundreds of billions of dollars right now, not to mention thousands of lives every year. Soon it is gonna be costing us trillions. We need to have a serious conversation in this country about holding these, this, this fossil fuel industry accountable. And so I'm, I'd like to start it here. And, and of course, the piece that I wrote today over at HartmanReport.com, headline, Time to Hold the Climate Change Perpetrators to Account and Make Them Pay. What do you think? Back with your calls. Oh, and I got to tell you this story about Hillary Clinton that the right is all flipped out about right after the break. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, with two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We're reading today from the Tom Hartman Reader here at Tom Hartman University. This is from page 13. The title is The Story of Carl. Carl loved books and he loved history. After spending two years in the Army as part of the American Occupation Forces in Japan immediately after World War II, Carl was hoping to graduate from college and teach history, perhaps even at the university level, if he could just hang on to the GI Bill and his day job long enough to get his Ph.D., but in 1950, when he'd been married just a few months, the surprise came that forced him to drop out of college. His wife was pregnant with their first child. This was an era when husbands worked, wives tended the home, and being a good father and provider was one of the highest callings to which a man could aspire. Carl dropped out of school, kept his 9-to-5 job at a camera shop, got a second job at a metal fabricating plant. 
working with molten metal from 7 p.m. to 4 a.m. For much of his wife's pregnancy and his newborn son's first year, he slept three hours a night and caught up on the weekends. But in the process, he earned enough to get them an apartment and prepare for the cost of raising a family. Over the next 45 years, he continued to work in the steel and machine industry. In the later years, as a bookkeeper manager for a Michigan tool and die company, as three more sons were born. Carl knew he was doing the right thing when he took that job in the factory, and he did it enthusiastically. Because the auto industry was unionized, he found he was able to support his entire family, all four sons, on one paycheck. He had a fully funded health insurance program, an annual vacation, and a good pension waiting for him when he retired. Carl had become a member of the middle class. He may not have achieved his personal dream of teaching history, but he had achieved the American dream. He was self-sufficient and free. Working with molten metal can be dangerous, but the dangers were apparent, and Carl took every protection to protect himself. What he didn't realize, however, was that the asbestos used at the casting operation was an insidious poison. He didn't realize that the asbestos industry had known for decades that the stuff could kill, but would continue to profitably market it for another 20 years while actively using its financial muscle to keep the general public in the dark and prevent the government from interfering. A couple of years ago, Carl tripped on the stairs and ended up in the hospital with a compression fracture of his spine. He figured that fall had also caused the terrible pain he'd been experiencing in his abdomen and his chest. Doctors, however, discovered that his lungs were filled with mesothelioma, a rare form of lung cancer that is almost always caused by exposure to asbestos. Mesothelioma is terminal, and its victims die by a slow and painful suffocation. Just because some corporation but profit before people. Carl got screwed. I was Carl's first child. My dad faced a painful death, but at least his job in a union shop left him with health care after retirement. <clears throat> Most Americans don't even have that reassurance anymore. More than 45 million Americans don't have health insurance to cover expenses for a serious illness. And 5 million lost their health insurance between 2001 and 2005, which is when I wrote this. And it's not just illness that worries most Americans today. Americans are working more and making less, getting harder and harder to just get by. There's a reason for the pain Americans are suffering. Workers are now expected to pay for their own health insurance and their own retirement. Pension plans are disappearing. 30,000 General Motors employees lost theirs just in 2005, and there's continued talk about privatizing Social Security, the Republicans' grand goal. The safety net is ripping apart, and the results are that the middle class is shrinking. The rich are once again getting richer, and the poor are getting poorer. The inflation-adjusted average annual pay of a CEO went up from $7.7 million to $9.6 million just between 2002 and 2004. Meanwhile, from 2002 to 2004, the inflation-adjusted median annual household income went down from $46,058 to $44,300. In other words, ordinary people's income went down by $1,600, while CEO pay went up by $1.8 million a year. From the Tom Hartman Reader, the story of Carl.
this is in the writing, you know, the R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G.com, the, the newsletter that I get. They read the right-wing media, so I don't have to. Newsmax, the headline, Hillary triangulates as she eyes a 2024 bid. It looks like we're in for Hillary 3.0. No, we're not. No chance. And, uh, you know, and, and if Hillary had become president, I think you know, probably she would have been a pretty good president. But this is, um, she's not going to run again. But here, then the American Spectator, the greasy pole once again beckons Hillary. Oh, my God. I, just the metaphor is terrible. And then, of course, they're all going off on AOC. AOC spotted maskless at Florida, Florida Drag Bar. AOC breaks COVID theater spotted maskless at bar. What is it that the right wing has about Democratic women? You know, AOC is calling them out for being, like, creepy. I mean, they're, like, stalking her. It's just, it's just so weird. Chip in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Hey, Chip, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? Hey, Tom, uh, burgeoning listener, first-time caller. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, What's up? I just want to talk to the issue of money in politics in general. Mm -hmm. And um, it seems like big money and corporate interests have bought out both parties' agendas, um, just different sectors. Um, and it's often thought that these corporate interests are just too wealthy to outspend or compete with. And when you look at these figures, millions of dollars and things like this, it's they're very unsurmountable. They seem very unsurmountable. But uh, I guess the, the juxtaposition here is I, I want to point out here is the corporate wealth is and was created by people giving just a tiny fraction of their total worth to these companies, you know, $5 Starbucks coffee or, you know, $10 here or whatnot. Patronizing so their products, point, in other words. Yeah. Right, right. And so to that point, maybe in reality, uh, it's the consumer base that has uh, the, the ultimate spending po power compared to the corporate interests. And um, when I looked up, you know, the lobbying efforts, the biggest annual lobbying efforts, in total it ends up being about $3.5 billion uh, annually. Right. But the top uh, annual, you know, the top lobbyist is the Chamber of Commerce at $46 million, and it goes down from there. So um, if we had $74 million or $81 million people voting, okay, um, and you have some of these policies that are across parties, okay, Medicare for all or paid family leave or these kind of progressive things. If we just had 10 million people donate $100, you create a billion dollars now worth of capital to um, oppose some of these other lobbying efforts. And, of course, you know, you do the numbers, you can figure out all sorts of different ways to create a billion or whatever the, the amount of money needs to be added to oppose these uh, corporate interests. And so uh, with that, I'll take my comments off the air. Well, I that's what's happening that now, Chip. I mean, this is Barack Obama pioneered this. He, he was the first presidential candidate whose campaign was, um, I don't know if it was majority funded, but it was substantially funded by small contributions on the Internet. The Internet kind of came of age in 2008 with the Obama candidacy. And, and now, uh, you know, 10 million people are, are giving to politics every year. I've, I've, in fact, I believe far more than 10 million um, uh, between WinRed and, and uh, Act Blue, you know, the, the two major fundraising sites for can candidates on both sides. Um, uh, were you suggesting the problem? I thought where you were going was we need to boycott the companies that are basically working against democracy. And yes. the, the problem there is like, you know, can you name any products that are made by Coke Industries? Right. No, you're you're right. You're right. It's. Uh, it, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, you're you're right. Uh, the, 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 there does come to this uh, position of 
of nuance, right? Yeah, and most um, people but, have no idea who's who's a member of the Chamber of Commerce and who's heavily funding it. And um, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but uh, you know, corporation. I mean, you know, who owns Burger King? You know, it's Yum Foods, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. It's like, what is Yum I, Foods? Go ahead. I totally agree. All I'm trying to say is that we know that the the, the dollar amount that they're spending, yeah. and we understand that the, you know their their primary goals depending upon their title, right? Yeah. And so. Um, when I look at the Build Back Better and I look at Mansion being, uh, you know, this this thing, it's going, and I'm going, hey, you know, if we got 10 million people to donate $100, that's a billion dollars. Hey, if you vote for this, Mansion, we'll, we'll donate, we'll donate to your campaign, a billion dollars. I don't think you can buy to... buy Mansion or Cinema off at this point. I think they are pre-bought, but you know, we'll see. I, I think though that they are vulnerable to pressure, and I think the next couple of weeks are going to be really, really critical. Chip, thank you, thank you so much for the call. The Washington Post has a piece that I want to commend to you or recommend to you. It's titled, Shaken by the January 6th Attack, Capital Workers Quit Jobs That Once Made Them Proud. And it's all these, it's some really great reporting. It's all these individual stories of people who worked at the Capitol building, police officers, janitors, uh, food service people, um, uh, staffers, congressional staffers who are having PTSD. Literally, uh, there's one woman who talked about whenever she gets into the shower, the, the noise of the, of the shower causes her to start hearing people screaming outside like they're pounding to get in and screaming exactly what they were screaming that day, we are going to kill you. They were literally screaming that as they were trying to break in the door to her office where she was hiding behind a desk. Um, she has quit her job, but she still has the PTSD. Uh, several police officers, kind of the same thing. Uh, Jody Biederman, a Capitol Police officer who just resigned, he said there's a, a dark cloud. Actually, I don't know if it's a he or she. There's a dark cloud over Capitol Hill. I look at officers' faces and they've changed. They've lost weight and they don't know why. Uh, another said, uh, this is a House staffer, I got to the point where my mental health just took an absolute nosedive because I was still trying to process this stuff. It absolutely broke me to know that people would be fine, happy, if my boss was dead, if I was dead, if my coworkers were dead. If they don't believe in us, what the hell are we doing this for? I mean, this is just, it's just, it's a tragic, touching, extraordinary story. Um, this, this is another one. The idea that you're in place in a place where your life is at risk was just on top of everything else. The clinching factor for me, said Rich Luchette, 35, former senior advisor to Representative David Cicilline. It becomes overwhelming at some point. A sign of the enduring trauma, this is from this, this piece by Paul Schwartzman and Peter Jameson in the Washington Post. A sign of the enduring trauma, Luchette said, occurred a week or so after the insurrection when the sounds of partying neighbors woke him up in his apartment and as, his, and as he opened his eyes, his first thought was, are there proud boys out in the hallway? I mean, this, that, that literally, these, this is you know, virtually the definition of post-traumatic stress disorder. What's going on here?
Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Let's pick up your phone calls and see what's on your mind today. Teresa in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Teresa, what's on your mind today? Well, Tom, I uh, I received some um, information. I'd never heard of this organization. I thought I might just put the bug in here. See if anything. That was called Catholic Vote. And uh, the president of it is a fellow named uh, Birch, uh, Brian Birch. And um, I read I read a lot about it, and I think that I don't know who's backing it, but I think there's a lot of dark uh, things going on with this organization. And I think they're using using it in a way to get the Catholic voter, but not really Catholic because of the religion or the organization, but to try to I got a I got an unsolicited email yesterday from a group. I don't remember the specific name, but it may well have been Catholic Votes that congratulated me on being a good Catholic, which is kind of weird because I'm not Catholic, I'm Protestant. Right. And then went into a long rant about abortion and ended with a fundraising pitch. Is this what you're talking about? Well, it's very similar. Uh, my The, the uh, papers that I received don't go into all that, but um, there's a lot. Uh, yeah. There are just a lot of things that are not right about it. And um, so uh, something is just is just really yeah. wrong. And I can't, so I can't I, speak to, to it. I'm sorry. Okay. Finish, finish your thought, Teresa. I, well, I, anyway, it's called, yeah, and there's one that just says midterm Catholic um, uh, congressional elections. Of course, they're all for the right wing candidates right. and the whole thing. And so I wrote, I don't know if they I wrote Mr. Birch a letter and I said, I received some information uh, about your organization and I have some real red flags uh, about right. it. And I said, first of all, you know, your message really is identical to the white ring evangelicals. And then I said, you know, Jesus was empathetic and sweet, but I don't see any of that in your endeavors. And I personally made copies of your goals and sending them on to educated Catholics in my life. And then I put PS and I read on the computer that your salary is 167,000. Interesting. And uh, so I'm going to, I don't know what I can do as a lay person in Asheville, yeah. but uh, this is just appalling. I'm a cradle Catholic. I mean, I'm not a Catholic today, 
but the, to, to go under that umbrella to get and everything and all these papers are just for the right wing. Yeah. Uh, they didn't talk about abortion. They just skipped that, but they just they only touch it with Catholic, uh, you know, important things to Catholics. But they're all for the right wing and all, and in the midterms and all. And I don't know what I can do. I'm gonna write him a letter, but I don't know what else I can do. But this is just gets me. It is like everything has become a grift. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like everything yeah. has become a grift. And this is this is this this big battle that is going on over on the right wing. And I and I had this article about it that I had printed out, and I I can't find it now. It's a weird thing this morning. Um, but uh, you know, it was a whole dissection of how on the right they are they're at war with each other. You know, the the, the you've got the the right and, and they're, what they're at war with each other. The, the, you know, the people who are all upset that Donald Trump said yes, I got boosted. You know, I got vaccinated and boosted. Mm -hmm. And the people who are saying you know that Lynn Wood is ripping people off, or the people who are you know the Marjorie Taylor Greene follower, and the the QAnon people. They're all going to war against each other because they're fighting over money, fundraising, yep. and followers. Yep. And and yep. I find it absolutely fascinating, and I'm wondering if this is just part of another one of those grifts. Teresa, I got to move along, but thanks for the heads up on that. That was fascinating. I appreciate the call. Uh, John in Hammond, Indiana. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Uh, yes, to the lady that you just spoke with, uh, I'm a cradle Catholic, too. I just want her to know that... Uh, this is the American Catholic bishops that's pushing this right-wing agenda. Pope, we hate Pope, Fran, Pope Francis. Yeah, I support I Pope Francis completely. And um, they hate anything environmental. You know, uh, it's all uh, pro-life, but um, they'll mow down the environment, they'll pollute it, cause cancer, and kill everybody. But um, it's, it's all a sham, and, and as, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, just a quick comment about fascism. I mean, you look at this Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro, there you go. Yeah. I mean, isn't it interesting that the fascists are most uh, anti-environmental? So the, the rainforest is our oxygen. That's your breathing it. I'm breathing it. It, it, it. It's oxygen for the earth. This guy wants to wipe it all out and uh, mow it all down. This is typical fascist logic. Okay. And um, so... You know, as far as I'm concerned, death to all fascists, and we should make war on fascists. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not up for death, frankly, John. I'd rather awaken people and bring them to my side. But you know, I get it that you're not down with fascism. Thank you, Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Hey, Chaz, what's on your mind today? I'm young, Hatsuo, Tom. Hey, what is that? What is that? In what language? That's Korean. I didn't give a proper tribute to my uh, Korean friends last time. They're industrious and engaging people, and I think they deserve better. Okay. Uh, Happy New Year. I wanted to, if I could, give you my perspective on uh, January 6th. Mm -hmm. Okay, take a couple minutes. Uh, sure. Less than a week into the year, concerned Trump voters trashed the nation's capital in an attempt to restore law and order, and they felt it was necessary to destroy America in order to save it. Yeah, time to put away the Christmas decorations. In other attempts to prove patriotism registered trademark, many who had prior taken an oath to preserve and defend the Constitution of the United States of America beat police officers with American flags and sought to kill the vice president of their own party. Right. Apparently there were no legal to barbecue or military members to spit on. 
Yet the tissue pop-up box of conspiracy says all of the January 6th rioters were Antifa. You know, Antifa with their guns and their Trump flags and their MAGA hats and right. their Nazi tattoos and death threats to Democratic leaders. Right. So how do you think we should memorialize this, Chaz? Deep Six. Hashtag Deep Six. You know, it falls apart after that. Why are they afraid to say they're anti-anti-fascist? Yeah. Maybe because in simple math, two antis cancel each other out. Result, they're a fascist. Yeah. This going to call it the closest ever attempt at a coup. The GOP will call it a Tuesday. If you're hoping to see those responsible fomenting insurrection. I think, I think we dodged a bullet. I, I'm increasingly thinking that we dodged a bullet. And the question is, will we be that lucky again this fall and two and a half years <laughs> from now? And I don't they know, but, but but some they of the good news is, is in my opinion, I, I found the article I was looking for here. It was, uh, it's by Drew Harwell in today's Washington Post. It's titled, since January 6th, the pro-Trump internet has descended into infighting over money and followers. And uh, it's- Music Myers. Oh yeah, it, it just, they go through the whole thing. It, it, uh, one of the big kickoffs of this was when Kyle Rittenhouse went on uh, Fox News and said that his attorneys, including a guy named Lynn Wood, um, had, quote, exploited his jail time to boost their fundraising for their own benefit, not trying to set me free. Uh, you Someday know. they're going to figure it out. Just a couple of points, Tom. I think they if, are. If you're hoping to see those responsible for fomenting insurrection held to account, please stand down and stand by. It's almost like the GOP knows the Democrats <laughs> won't seek to further divide the country. Almost. As for the rest of the year, nothing else matters. The hashtag sedition on the sixth, hashtag deep six was the closest the good old US of A ever came to a coup. Not since the Civil War, excuse me, nor war than aggression. Not since Alexander Haig, not since, well, ever. It's just another day in the normalization of the theft of democracy. But at least sea shanties became popular for a few days last year, Tom. <laughs> okay. Chaz, thanks for the call. It's nice to hear from you and Happy New Year. Uh, Marcos in San Bernardino, California. Hey, Marcos, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Glad to talk to you. I want to possibly reach back to a, a comment earlier on by someone who was talking about death to fascists. I, I'm a progressive. I, I vote Democrat. I probably would not start out with a call like that, but I do think that we have a lot of pre-fascist cross-section of Americans, and, and not only whites. And I, I think that this is where the, the insurrectionist in January 6th, that's where they're fishing. And I'm, I'm also concerned that the Democrats, like someone else also who called in, that they're coming to a, a machete fight in an alley armed with a spork. You know, that our messaging is, is not nearly as audacious or as effective as it needs to be to reach that cross-section of working-class, maybe middle-class Americans who are getting hit hard. Uh, if I could just do one last thing, I, I think that there's a pattern here. I don't believe that Hillary was a persuasive candidate in 2016 and that the corporate Dems torpedoed Bernie's candidacy. I think Bernie would have would have beaten Trump. I, I, that's because I, that, I think that he reaches the working class, you know, majority of our country, mm -hmm. and that's I, I think that's where the Democrats are are, are not not meeting. They're not, their game is not the long game like it should be. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And and uh, the thing that troubles me, Marcos, um, as much as I'm 
uh, trying to emphasize the positive here as we go into this new year, is that the most uh, articulate, outspoken, brave uh, member of the January 6th committee right now is a Republican, Liz Cheney. And, uh -huh. and she is speaking out using the language that the entire Democratic Party should be using, and yep. by and large are not. And yep. you know you need to you need to have you need to cohere around you know uh, rally around one single message, a very emphatic message, and and you know the the crime against democracy, the crime against America, and just hammer that and and do it in a dozen different ways. It's like what the Republicans did with Hillary with their emails. It's what the Republicans did with Hillary on Benghazi. I mean, you find one thing and you pound it until you just can't pound it anymore and then you find one other thing and the democrats are, are not doing this i think it's because they're so busy trying to run the country you know <laughs> but but you know and it, 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 will rogers said it best you know I, I don't belong to an organized political party i'm a democrat um you know there, there is that that tendency marcos i gotta run but thanks for the call we'll be right back John in Santa Monica. Hey, John, what's up? Hello, Tom. Thank you for having me, and Happy New Year. Thank you. Back at you. I am going to be remembering January 6th by reading the preamble to the Constitution of the United States of America. Oh, that's a great idea. I think anybody's words or actions could be measured against this statement. And... Uh, Maybe commit it to memory. I've got a copy of it here on my lap. And well, feel free uh, to read it if you'd like, John. It's only one sentence. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Oh, I want a COVID mask with that printed on it. Yeah, there you go, John, I love it. And that and, and you know, of course, the Declaration of Independence, I think uh, the, one of the most important parts of it is, that is almost never mentioned is the very last sentence. You know, to this we pledge our lives and our fortunes, you know, to the sacred cause. I'm with you. John, thank you. That was a, a great one. I appreciate the call. Hey, Dave, how's our favorite retired intelligence officer doing today? Okay, Tom, but I'm, I regret I have to disagree with you a little bit because, you know, I have unlimited respect for your body of work, and you're like the only person that gives me hope, okay? But I, I just don't think the uh, American populace is going to um, – you know, effectively resist authoritarianism. And I'll tell you why. Um, you know, uh, AOC, she was being criticized because she said Trump, uh, she actually said conservatives were creepy weirdos, okay, because they were talking about her boyfriend's sandals. Well, if you dig down Twitter into thread. that, yes, and I completely agree with that, what she said. But if you dig, 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 dig down into it, why, why is that opinion out there that they're creepy weirdos? Basically, you will find exactly what I found. They, democracy, representative democracy, has not worked for, for, I would say, every single Trump voter, 70 million of them in America. I mean, you look at the popularity of Vladimir Putin, okay, in, in America amongst Republicans. 
And it is scary. And as far as like the January 6th, it is completely apropos. Look, they, they commemorated. Yeah, I know only um, about 20 percent of Republicans think that it was caused by, by Donald Trump. I get all that, Dave. Uh, you know, but the, the fact of the matter is that over the last four years, the Republican Party has shrunk dramatically in size. Uh, increasingly, the, 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 quote, low information voters, and, and um, you know, I know people like this. They, they basically don't ever watch the news, and then around election time, they're like, well, I'm, you know, they, they broadly don't like all the fighting. They would, you know, they would rather have a country that is safe, that is secure, and where, you know, the, the general benefits of, of American democracy actually flow to everybody. They, they would like to see Social Security improve. I think the Democrats have a really good chance here. I'm not sure they'll hold out of the House, but, I, you know, I think that they have a really good chance. Well, a lot of it, and, you know, and again, I'm, I'm 25 years in the military, I get people telling me I, on the left and the right, when I bring up this Russia thing, I get, well, you're just a warmonger. I get that you're scared. I am neither. What I am afraid of is the fate of American democracy is being held in the hands of the Kremlin. Because even if we achieve an almost certain victory repelling Russian forces from Ukraine, it will be so it'll be so striking. You know, it will be something Americans have not dealt with since World War II, just based on the numbers alone. Yeah. What it will do, it will lock up this corporate and CEO um, immunity and impunity that. It's it's the cult of safety that George Bush started. Look, no, um, I, I, I get that. I yeah. get that. You know, that people will follow, you know, a, a strong leader who promises them safety and simplicity and the world will just operate the way it's supposed to. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, that Putin has done well in Russia and, and Orban in Hungary and other, you know, and, and it, but, it, but it doesn't it doesn't last. And and I, I really believe, Dave, that this is now firmly a minority position in the United States. I think it's a majority position in a lot of red states, but I think broadly speaking for the entire country, it's become a minority position. Maybe, maybe I've just got rose-colored glasses up. Maybe it's because it's the first day of a new, or, you know, the first business day of the new year. I don't know, but Dave, your, your, your comments and your cautions are noted. I respect your opinion. Thank you very much for, for sharing them. Um, I'm just a little more optimistic. I really am. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Justice, Justice Thou Shalt Pursue, uh, A Life's Work Fighting for a More Perfect Union by Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Amanda L. Tyler. The book was uh, submitted for publication three weeks before Justice Ginsburg passed away. This is from the introduction by Amanda Tyler. She starts out talking about how a friend of hers passed away and she invited Ruth Bader Ginsburg to come to the University of California Berkeley School of Law and give a, an address, and out of that came this book. As she says, we were trying to talk about her life and work in order to give readers a glimpse into how, as a lawyer and federal judge, Justice Ginsburg has worked tirelessly for gender equality 
and more generally achievement of our Constitution's most fundamental aspiration to build a more perfect union. Then she talks about one by one, Justice Ginsburg toppled the stereotypes and assumptions that had provided the foundation for cases like Mueller v. Oregon and Hoyt v. Florida. It began, as those who have seen the 2018 movie On the Basis of Sex know, with a case she jointly litigated with Marty, her husband, Moritz v. Commissioner of Internal Revenue. As she and I discussed in our conversation, their effort began when Marty, a tax lawyer, handed his wife some pages from a tax court advance sheet after seeing a report of Mr. Moritz's case. In short order, they prevailed on Mr. Moritz, a never married man, who had been disallowed a caregiver tax deduction his female equivalent would have been allowed. In time, as Justice Ginsburg noted in our conversation, the Moritz decision offered her a roadmap for the series of cases she litigated in its wake as director of the ACLU's Women's Rights Project and later as one of the ACLU's four general counsels. Throughout the, throughout the 1970s, she briefed 10 Supreme Court cases on behalf of parties challenging gender discrimination. She presented oral arguments in six of those, and she prevailed in seven of them, with one becoming moot before the court decided it. Justice Ginsburg also filed friend of the court or amicus curiae briefs in at least a dozen more cases. In one of those cases, the first she argued before the Supreme Court, Fronterito versus Richardson, Justice Ginsburg explained in her brief to the court, quote, historically, women have been treated as subordinate and inferior to men. Although some progress toward erasing sex discrimination has been made, the distance to equal opportunity for women in the United States remains considerable, end quote. To close that distance, Justice Ginsburg successfully challenged in litigation before the Supreme Court and lower courts, among other things, a statutory scheme that preferred men to women as estate administrators, the automatic discharge of pregnant Air Force officers, federal statutes granting disparate benefits to male and female members of the military, the automatic exemption of women from jury pools, the denial of equal Social Security benefits to men and women caregivers, the denial of unemployment benefits to pregnant women, the denial of equal Social Security benefits to male surviving spouses, and the limitation of assignments available to women in the Navy. Mindful that her work was the continuation of efforts of many who had come before her, Justice Ginsburg included the names of Dorothy Kenyon and Pauli Murray in the first brief she filed for the Supreme Court for the appellant in, in Reed v. Reed. In 1980, President Jimmy Carter nominated and the Senate confirmed Justice Ginsburg to serve as a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. Then in 1993, President Bill Clinton nominated her to serve as an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. In the hearings before the Senate Judiciary Committee leading up to her confirmation, Justice Ginsburg gave opening testimony in which she introduced her family and then offered this self-description. I am a Brooklynite, born and bred, a first-generation American on my father's side, a barely second-generation on my mother's. Neither of my parents had the means to attend college, but both taught me to love learning, to care about people, and to work hard for whatever I wanted or believed in. Their parents had the foresight to leave the old country when Jewish ancestry and faith met exposure to pogroms and denigration of one's human worth. What has become of me could only happen in America. Like so many others, I owe so much to the entry this nation afforded to people yearning to breathe free." End quote.
Justice Ginsburg next credited her husband Marty for supporting her choice to become a lawyer unreservedly and for believing, quote, when we met and today that a woman's work, whether at home or on the job, is as important as a man's, end quote. Among many others, she also thanked for the opportunity before her. She credited, quote, the determined efforts of men and women who kept dreams of equal citizenship alive in days when few would listen. And she specifically mentioned Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Harriet Tubman. Finally, in her statement, Justice Ginsburg discussed the role of the judge and more generally what it means to serve as a guardian of our Constitution. The justices, she said, do not guard constitutional rights alone. Courts share that profound responsibility with Congress, the President, the states, and the people. And then she goes on from there. The book is Justice, Justice, Thou Shalt Pursue, A Life's Work Fighting for a More Perfect Union by Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Amanda L. Tyler. in Santa Fe, New Mexico, listening on our oldest affiliate, our oldest commercial affiliate, KTRC. Hey, Paul, what's up? Wow, I feel honored. Uh, very long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah, but, we've been um, on that station for like 16 years, I think. So. I, I never miss your show. Well, thank you. It, but thank you for what you do. It's a tremendous service. And uh, I'm calling because I'm tired of the tail wagging the dog. And I'm in a position where I meet a lot of uh, foreign visitors and all, and I jokingly but seriously tell them, listen, when you go back home, please explain to your populace, to your friends, that less than 50% of voting Americans voted uh, in the election to elect Trump, and that he won by less than 25% of those eligible to vote. That is shameful. And, uh, you know, we, we need to figure out a way to do a grassroots campaign where it becomes a personal objective of every American to pester their friends, their relatives. You know, did you vote in the last election? Are you going to vote in the upcoming one? I, I mean, there's no excuse for the way our country is going when 25 percent of Americans are dictating the the rest for, you know, the other 75 percent. I uh, had the good fortune of living in the house of uh, when I was 22. And I, I found an apartment in the Berkeley Hills um, in the early 1980s. Uh, a couple, German couple. He was 50 years older than me and she was 56 years. They met and were paired up in the underground in Germany before World War II. When Hitler came to power in 33, they went underground in the resistance. They believed in nonviolent means. Uh, you know, the guy had his whole future in front of him. He had a, he was in a six-year program for his ice optics to be trained as a foreign division manager. He had everything to lose, and yet he believed that what Hitler was up to was wrong after he read Mein Kampf. And I, I lived in their house for five years, uh, wow. probably the best education I ever got during my life. My, wow. my whole, I, many an evening, hours lost, you know, just in conversation about how Hitler was able to accomplish what he accomplished. And the road America is going down is just scary as hell. There's no, there's no excuse for it whatsoever. And I don't have the answer other than the fact that there needs to be a fire lit under every American. Um, you know, I, I fondly remember the 60s, and despite uh, 
the Vietnam War and the later and the and the turmoil of it in the later '60s. You know, as a kid growing up in the '60s, I just remember America is full of hope for the future, and all that seems to have disappeared. Um, I post this question to everyone I know. You know, how does this all end? And <laughs> there's no easy answer in sight for it. So, uh, you know, I'm not calling with a solution, but I would like to figure out a way to start a grassroots campaign. Um, I'm I'm originally from State College, Pennsylvania. It's in the geographic center of the state. Mm-hmm. When Trump was elected, I took great pride in pointing out to people that Pennsylvania, the whole state, looked red. There were only two spots in the state that were blue. One was outside of Philly, probably Westchester. The other was State College area in the center of the state. And I, <laughs> I the takeaway is I would tell people further proof that education makes the difference. Yeah. And I think that that is the solution to our problem, Paul. I think that, you know, awakening, waking people up to what the, the real agenda of these guys on the right is, which is basically a giant grift. You know, the, the, the business yeah. people and the business lobbies and the, and the, the right-wing think tanks, and, you know, their, their grift is to, you know, make it easy for, for business to basically victimize the American people, poison the American people, pollute right. our planet, and make a profit and, not, and never be held accountable for it. And then you've got the, the second order grifters, which are the, the kind of, uh, you know, the Donald Trump, Lynn Wood types, you know, who are, uh, you know, Rudy Giuliani and whatnot, who are just out there with their hand out. And, and now you've got a bunch of members of Congress who are doing the same thing, you know, raising money on being outrageous and, and uh, constantly cranking their supporters. I've got a really weird thing going on, um, and, and maybe, I, 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 I'm guessing probably you don't have the answer to this, Paul, but maybe somebody listening does. Um, I gave this one contribution to Donald Trump back in 2015 and got on his mailing list. And then about a month ago, I decided I'm sick and tired of the spam. I was getting seven and eight <laughs> requests a day. And so I started putting him on, on my spam list. And, and you know, I, this is through one of the largest email providers in the country, you know, very robust system. And every day I'm still getting a new spam from Donald Trump asking for money, and they're all coming from different addresses. I mean, I, I'm I'm not, I'm not no longer getting seven or eight a day, but every day I'm putting a new address on my spam list. I, he must have 30 or 40 or 100 email addresses that he's using to send out his spam so that if somebody, you know, if grandpa is getting all these messages and is draining his checking account, the kids go in and start, you know, putting Trump as spam, it still gets through. I mean, there's some kind of huge scam going on here that Donald Trump is running um, that's got me scratching my head. But I think people are waking up to it is the bottom line. Paul, I got to run, but thank you for the call. And and it's great to hear from you. And what a story on on, uh, the people that you lived with back in the 60s. That's incredible. Paul, thank you so much. Special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabberwocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor Arroyo, and Carne Verde. All the folks who work on this program. And thank you to you for uh, participating with our program and spreading the good word and supporting our sponsors and our stations. Get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.